the longest relationship we're going to have in our life is with ourselves. The way that we engage, like, oh, what is it actually to say this is the longest relationship I'll be in? And am I actually putting the kind of time, attention, energy, and nurturing into this relationship as I would the person I think I want to spend the rest of my life with? How am I developing that? And then I bring that person into the world, you know, in all the ways that I relate. And that is a very different person. Welcome to Crazy Wisdom. I'm your host, Luke Antrop. Crazy Wisdom is our show about the wild, the unexpected and interesting places we find ourselves in during our quest to live a life of deeper meaning and deeper truth. My hope is with each conversation and each story, you discover a new part of yourself on your journey towards making the most out of this one wild and precious life. This is a Soulfire production. On this week's show, I am joined by Kendra Kunov. Kendra is a teacher and guide. She helps people in the areas of embodiment, intimacy, connection to the land, and I consider her a modern-day mystic and guide. So welcome to the show, Kendra. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. <laughs> yes. So Kendra, you know, on the show, we're focused on these wild places that we find ourselves in and I've known you maybe for about five years now, and my goodness, have I been to some wild places with you and in your, your retreats and your containers. I think maybe the best way to introduce you to the Crazy Wisdom audience is to just describe a particular scene in one of oh, your no. retreats. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, Kendra lives in the deep end of the pool, as, as I do. And so I'm, we're just going to dive in here. I'll paint a picture here, which is there are about 80 people in a room and they're, they're grouped up in like maybe groups of like four or five. And they've all been asked to describe their like deepest sexual fantasy, right? To like, to really understand and to like spend some time indulging in their own mind's eye about like, what is like your juiciest erotic dream for yourself? If you could wave a magic wand and be in the like the scene, the picture of your richest sexual experience, what would that be? As we look around the room, we have these groups of four to six people. There's a woman with like five men on top of her. There's a, a man chasing around virgins. There are, you know, couples that are in deep embrace with just each other. And I should say like, they're acting out these fantasies, but uh, no one's having sex. Everyone's fully clothed. The boundaries are very clear about what type of touch is allowed. There's no, not even any kissing. We all are in this experience of following the impulse and the energy of our desires and having a chance in a place where there's no real life consequences to, to act them out, to understand you know, what's beneath them, what drives these deep fantasies. And for me, this, this practice has been one of the most healing and energizing practices I've ever been in. And as a way of just introducing you to our audience, I'd love for you to just kind of describe like what is happening in this practice of, of you know, your, your juiciest sexual fantasy and acting it out with others. Yeah, it's so great. I'm like, I remember that moment too. But as you were talking, you know, part of what I was thinking and and remembering both about that and then just as a practice in general this piece is like what I, I i really think one of the things that gets missed so often 
is that diving down less about like the psychology of why do I have this fantasy, but more like the energetics of what does this fantasy actually fulfill in me? What does it nourish that maybe I didn't even know needed nourishing? And that's what's so powerful, like the way that you were talking about, there's boundaries and the container is clear. And yes, we're acting out the fantasy, but we're actually taking it slow and not just diving right into the actual act itself. And that allows for this, um, so much of, so much of the time we live between a desire and then the fulfill, the com- what we consider, quote unquote, the complete fulfillment, and we miss everything in between, which is actually the discovery of what really matters, you know, what is actually deeply nourishing to the human body, heart, and soul. So I would say that's what's happening in that practice is that we're like, being deeply nourished on all those levels of like, oh, this is what, this is what's really needed to nourish this being. And how do I actually go about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so much of this practice is about, you know, you identify these pictures in our mind, but then connecting to the textures and the feeling and the felt sense that's beneath the, the picture that, that our mind evokes in this fantasy and really understanding the nuances of yeah, that kind of felt sense because that's actually what we can act upon often. And we can, that actually the, the soul is calling towards a way of expressing so that we, um, we pull things out of the shadows in this, in this way. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You described a particular, but I can think of all these moments and in some way, I think like one of my heart's delights in this lifetime. And one of the reasons I feel so grateful to do the work I do is for me, being witness to humans in like the range of expression is so deeply nourishing and fulfilling. Like I get so happy in those spaces. I'm just like, look, Mm. everyone's like being who they are. This is amazing. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's partly the power of, so part of your work, just to maybe back up a moment, (laughs) is that you, you hold people in retreat and in coaching containers around helping them deepen their capacity for intimacy and love and kind of expressing their heart, receiving and giving love, right? And part of these containers is, is that we, we get a chance to exercise and, and kind of work out the ways that we, you know, that our past impacts our ability to really fully love and be in communion with another, right? And so, this is an example of the type of thing that we might do to not just talk about how to heal wounds of the past, but to actually use the body as a vehicle to heal wounds of the past. And for me, there is nothing more potent than adding erotic energy to that. When we add sexual energy to finding ways of opening our heart or receiving love, it actually just it, it shifts it in a way that's not you can't touch from a psychotherapeutic approach. Um, there's something about adding the eroticism, adding attraction to another that creates, um, it's a catalyst to heal things in a way that others aren't. Well, and I mean, one of the reasons that I would say, if we want to like get kind of cosmic here, right at the, mm-hmm. right at the outset, but I mean, in one sense, I would say I work in the realm of intimacy and relating. And in another sense, I would say I work in the realm of belonging. Like really my fund, I feel like more like my fundamental purpose, if you, if you want to call it that is around belonging. And this erotic energy, to me, this is the energy that is the creative energy in the world. So, you know, we get kind of mm, about like humans and like sex, 
And then really it's like, when we, so when we say adding erotic energy, it's like, oh, is it all about like, hmm, it's like sex, you know, like, no, it's not about sex, <laughs> but it's, it's about this cosmic creative energy of the universe. Like the fact that anything exists at all is, is based on this erotic energy. And this is this huge part that we tend to carve out of our human experience. And then we're like, why don't I feel like I belong? I don't belong anywhere. Like, I don't, I don't, how do I get to be me? Like, I don't, you know, this sort of sense. And it's like, oh, because there's, I mean, so many parts of ourselves, but certainly this like large part that is the wild erotic nature of being alive at all is so often sort of shunted and hidden and tucked away and, you know, made kind of like mm, tiny and dirty and wrong. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I wanted to kind of go a little different direction here, which is thinking about what does it require for us to to live from a place of love, to deepen our capacity to love, to deepen our capacity to both receive and give love. And oftentimes we, we, there's like layers of the past that just get, that get piled on our heart and our body mind in a way that we can't actually be in a place of kind of feeling the world around us, which stifles us from our feelings of belonging. Right. And one of the things I love about your work is th the process that you take people through to help, particularly women, take women through a, a process of kind of unmasking and peeling back those layers through a period of, of cleansing, right? And mm -hmm. um, you call this the no man diet, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about this process that you run for women, I've done the kind of analogous version of this for men, uh, a feminine cleanse, but I'd love to just hear from you, you know, a little bit more about what is it? Why is it important? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there's so many layers and such a great question. And I, I, it is true. So I call it the no man diet and, you know, it's really, it is more like a relational reset or a relational cleanse, if you will. Um, cause certainly, and the container I hold is for women, but certainly women who have gone through, who don't identify as heterosexual mm -hmm. and, and the piece you brought in at the beginning is so important, which is where we are carrying so often pieces from the past and mapping them into the present. And then also sort of rolling them out into the future. Like those things, those things are happening simultaneously where, you know, and if we, we can understand that cognitively and psychologically, oh, I know this is from my past and my relationship with my father. And yet the feeling in the present moment is still there, right? So one of the reasons that I do find something like a no man diet, a feminine cleanse, a masculine cleanse, a relational reset, however you want to call it, um, so valuable is in some ways, and people do this with food too, right? We're sort of like, oh, I'm having allergen allergenic type reactions and that it's not that I'm going to eat, you know, only these things forever and ever for the rest of my life, but there's some value to my body in making it very, very simple so that I can start to get to the heart of, Oh, what is actually happening in this body? And so relationally it's very similar. You know, women ask all the time, like, but why do I have to give up? To, can't I do this work? Like while I'm dating or while I'm in relationship and it's not that it's impossible. Certainly we can do a lot of work on ourselves in relationship or in, you know, whether that's long-term partnership or whether that's in the dating relational cycle, 
there is a lot that can be done in that place. And a lot of times it's very muddied by this experience you talked about of like bringing the past into the present and like, wait, what's real? What are my needs? Are they actually showing up for me? Is how I feel valid? Can I ask for, you know, there's all this other stuff going on. And so when we really clear the space and for a period of time say, oh, I'm actually just going to be doing this work with myself. And, and this very clear process of going through it, you know, what is it to be um, in relationship to my own pleasure when it's not about another person? Uh, what is it, you know, what is it actually just to be me and me? This is another note I was writing myself this morning, actually, that was like, oh, the longest relationship we're going to have in our life is with ourselves. And again, I knew I was going to talk to you and I was like, you know, or we could say the longest relationship we have with our is with God. I can say that with Luke. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, maybe it's kind of the same. You know, I, I'm not saying the relationship with ourselves and the relationship with God is the same per se, but I think the way that we engage, like, oh, what is it actually to say this is the longest relationship I'll be in? And am I actually putting the kind of time, attention, energy, and nurturing into this relationship as I would the person I think I want to spend the rest of my life with? Because I guaranteed... I'm going to spend the rest of my life with me. Like that, that is not, that's not up for debate. <laughs> so, you know, how, um, how am I developing that? Mm. Yeah. And then I bring that person into the world, you know, in all the ways that I relate. And that is a very different person. Absolutely. I experienced this process shortly after uh, my marriage ended. I took, you know, there was some period of time that was necessary to be dating and kind of, just kind of be back out there. And then there was a there was a moment that I just felt like that was wholly unsatisfying and I wasn't I needed a reset and I took 6 months. And the commitment for for me the way that I set this up uh, was that I was not flirting, I was not dating, I was not in any sort of hooking way of like trying to hook women into my space and there was no obviously no no sex, no hand-holding, no kissing, no, even at the grocery store, like I, I would maybe smile and say hello if someone smiled at me. But other than that, it was very much like there was just a cloak over me. And at first it's pretty confronting. We find all the ways that we habitually use other people to kind of paper over our own insecurities and our, our, our feelings of self-doubt and shame and get people kind of wrapped up in our own story, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, um, that's fairly confronting, but once we kind of break through that, uh, for me, it was maybe a month or so when I could kind of snap out of the, all those patterns, there's a way in which the, as you say, like the relationship to self deepens pretty quickly. And, mm -hmm. um, for me, I was also spending a lot of time outside in nature. And so I was able to start to just kind of digest all of these patterns of the past and start to really nourish myself and and through the land through the earth through connection to the stars at night and and i was getting uh fed in this different way you know six months went by in some ways painfully excruciatingly slow <laughs> especially when i would see a beautiful woman but mostly it flew by and i and i i found myself at the end like not ready <laughs> not really ready to like you know, I, I was, I was so, it was so kind of soothing to just drop all of those habits. Um, but it, in the end, I, it absolutely shifted my relationship to how I was showing up uh, 
to potential partners or in a dating situation where I wasn't showing up with so much neediness. I was showing up uh, very well resourced and kind of grounded in my own being. Well, it's interesting. I mean, so the no man diet is three months and that often, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, that is a drop in the bucket of your life. My own no man diet was also six months like, like yours and the same, like there were times it was excruciating. I actually tell this story about how I almost ended it like two weeks early or something. I sort of had this <laughs> opportunity that arose and I was like, I've died. Like, like it's been six months. I mean, what's two weeks? And actually how some of the greatest lessons came in that. Mm. And actually that time I was like, oh fuck, like that is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so three months is like a drop in the bucket. And, and then that you even brought up the grocery store. I love, cause I talk about, you know, there's all the obvious things, right? Like don't be on dating sites and don't have sex and don't text your ex and, you know, these sort of things. And then there's like, oh, I wonder if that, you know, the guy that works behind the meat counter might be there. And like, I'm just sort of, (laughs) I'm not, I I just wanted to put on lipstick for my own sake to go out. It's for my own pleasure to go out to the grocery store, but how we just kind of, you know, do and all the little things we do. And that again is one of the reasons it's so valuable to really clear the slate is because we go, oh, not blame, shame, judgment, like self-flagellation about it, but like, oh, look, that's me doing that thing. That I that I that I'm mostly unconscious of, and I can usually gloss over. And in this cleared space, I I, I can actually be honest with myself that I'm doing that thing, which back in the day of authentic world, we used to call it the narcissistic hit. It's like, do I exist? Like, do I exist? You know, like show me I exist. And what it is to really again that sense of belonging, like, oh, I exist. And mm-hmm. yes, I want to be in connection. Yes, humans are pack animals. Like, yes, sex and touch are, you know, normal human wants, needs, and desires. And and I already exist. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a really important piece around the pleasure piece. I know for me, when I went through this experience and, and even beyond this experience, the, to have a for this, what I did was it was a nearly daily practice of self-pleasure, of masturbation, right? With for for men without ejaculating, you know, ejaculating kind of infrequently. So just pleasure for the sake of pleasure, not for the sake of getting off. And when we, when we grab the kind of locus of our focus of, of pleasure and stimulation and take it back into ourselves and not project it out onto the world around us and all of the potential people that could participate in that, um, there's like a really deep kind of mystical opening that can happen in one's, in oneself, especially for men, if we're practicing you know, uh, semen retention, at least to some level, not, you know, it doesn't need to be crazy, but like that our capacity to actually move into deeper states of pleasure in our body, it opens up all sorts of really cool information and, and just allows us to feel alive in our body. So when we're, you know, out of bed, not masturbating, we're walking through the forest, we're walking, you know, through the city, everything just kind of pops a little more. I think that was also one of the great benefits is like no porn no external focus of my obsession and to just allow erotic energy to kind of move through me in a very deep way. Is this analogous or equivalent for women? Absolutely. I mean, do a whole, there's a whole segment module in the program that's specifically on pleasure. And I do want to say, you know, men in particular in this culture are so trained to not like to like all the focus of pleasure is like on the cock and that's it, you know, and it, um, it can seem, I've definitely worked with men 
and I hear you speaking to this, it can almost seem like somehow it's um, cutting off pleasure to broaden out, but it actually is so much more. And I think we really do men a disservice. We, we tend to say things like men are less sensitive and men feel less. And, men, and I'm like, this is not my experience of either my son, um, you know, my own partner or the men that I actually, I'm like, actually men are very sensitive. <laughs> men are very deeply feeling men. men have a huge capacity for pleasure. And it's, and it's really not talked, taught or talked about or ways of offering it that are um, devoid of shame you know, it's rare. So I, I know you do that work and I'm, and I'm glad, you know, for the people who do, because it's, I think it really hurts all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's the sensitivity of kind of erotic energy, but then there's just the general emotional sensitivity. And th those two are intricately linked for me. Uh, one, just for the, for those men that are listening, one very clear practice that uh, I found uh, very useful in this regard, <laughs> it's wild, but set a timer for 30 minutes self-pleasure yourself and do not ejaculate. And, and so the purpose is not to get to the end. It's simply to ride the waves of pleasure through your body. Mm -hmm. And as you do this, and, and then at the end of the 30 minutes, yes, there's like a little come down period. <laughs> you got to deal with the blue balls and all of that. But um, over time, it, it, it like deepens your capacity uh, to last longer in actual lovemaking, but you're also just opening your up yourself up mm -hmm. to this level of sensitivity. So it's the old it's the old timer trick: thirty minutes on the alarm. Yeah, it's so funny you say timer. I'm I'm a huge fan of time containers. Like I'm always I'm uh -huh. like yeah, just do it for five minutes. Yeah, just set a timer. Just I mean a timer is like it's the best thing ever. You're like then set it aside. Don't think about it. Do the thing. Um, but I tell a story in the No Man Diet about when I was on my own No Man Diet where I was, I had also set like a daily self-pleasure or pleasure practice. So it wasn't, it wasn't inherently masturbation, but it was a daily pleasure practice. And then I had this one morning where for all kinds of reasons, I was running late and I didn't have time. And I like, I've da, 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 And I like, I think again, because I was in this, this space where I had cleared so many other things that I was much more aware of what was happening. And I, I sort of caught myself. I remember I was like walking in my bedroom and I sort of stopped and I was like, wait, how many times have I felt like so hurt by a man because he didn't have time for me or like we were rushing or his attention was elsewhere or something else was more important. And here I am basically making all those same excuses to myself about why I can't do my pleasure practice. And I was like, okay, I looked at the clock and I was like, I have exactly 10 minutes. Like I actually do have 10 minutes. And then I really turned and, and, and just related to it, like, if I was my own perfect lover right now, or perfect partner, however, how would I actually treat myself in these next 10 minutes? You know, would it be like a quickie and I would come or would I, would it be slow? Would I, do I really want to be held and then like caressed? How do I want to be spoken to? Like, what is it? Can I give myself this 10 minutes? But again, and I hear this from women all the time. They're like, all I, I don't actually even need that much. I just need their actual attention. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and there I was sort of dismissing, like, it's not enough time and I'm too busy and I have other things to do. And like, Oh wait, how do I turn that attention towards myself? And it was, it was profound. I mean, I cried, like it was yeah. so profound to be with myself in that place. Yeah. That's really the essence of this whole practice. Like how can I be my own best lover in this moment? And when mm -hmm. we can really answer that question in a deep way, 
my God, how we show up so much differently in life and for our actual lovers, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it definitely makes like actual sex way better. I mean, it's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's not an either or proposition. Just, just right. FYI. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm just curious, uh, one last piece around the, the no man diet or the, you know, the, the concept of a cleanse, masculine, feminine cleanse. I know many people have done this while in relationship, while married. And I'm just wondering if you could say just a word or two about how you work with that. Well, what I will say is specifically in the program, we spend the first two weeks with each woman is setting her own container. So I make some very strong recommendations. We have a call, like a group call, so that people can ask questions about like, but what about, you know, people are always like, but what about my male coworkers? Or, but what about this friend? Or, but what about, da, 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 you know, and, and, and I start often by going like, these are the, you know, if you, if you think of a container, like it's just a sacred delineation. And then we, and we can answer usually the question, some of the questions very easily of like, what do we know during this time does not belong inside the container? And what do we know does? Like just go for the, the clear yeses, the clear noes. And then every woman and its individual has gray areas. And I have them write a whole list. I'm like, write out your gray areas, you know, write out that one coworker that nothing has ever happened with. And you could just go to lunch and it, you know, da, 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 da. But like, you know, that you're using them for your narcissistic hit, like they're in the gray area. <laughs> and then we work with that basically. So I would say that works. I mean, and anyone who ever asks me about, can I do this while I'm still in relationship or still living with my ex or still, and I'll say like, yeah, you're going to need to bring, um, in some ways it requires like a little bit more ferocity. Like you're going to, you need to get clear on your container and then it's going to, you, you need to hold that with clarity because it's going to be easy to be like, well, we're in the same house or like, well, I could just make them dinner or well, you know, and, and to decide for your own self, what serves the deeper why of why you would actually do a cleanse or a program like this at all. And then to, and then to make those decisions about the container, is it that we're having no sex or is it that it's always like this, or do we sleep separately or how do we handle family time or like, just get really clear on it. Yeah. Wonderful. Very useful. Okay. Well, I wanted to go a little different direction. And one of the things I love about you and your work is that you're very skillful at helping people kind of connect into their own body and their own experience and kind of transmute things so that they can live just a more fully expressed life, right? And I know one of the main ways you do that is through connecting people back to the earth. And I've certainly experienced this just being with you as a friend and in some of your programs. And you have in your kind of role as a modern mystic, you're just really in tune with the rhythms of the moon and the earth and the cycles. And I'd love to just understand that a little bit more and, and help our, our kind of crazy wisdom community. For those that do have a connection to earth, but want to deepen it, like What's the best way to do that? What are some practices that people can have or experiences that they can have to have the earth be a bit more of like a guide for them? Hmm. I love that. I mean, one of the things I will say is, is in a way, I feel like I was gifted or that, you know, it's by grace, by grace that I was born in a place where I lived basically. I mean, I lived without electricity until I was 11 and really in like the woods. I mean... <laughs> people are like, where did she grow up? I grew up in Northern California, but we lived up a dirt road, you know, it was really in the woods. And so 
it doesn't mean obviously that if you didn't grow up this way, you can't have this connection, but there are ways that I've had to kind of go back and be like, Oh, how, like, why is this so real for me? How do I know that this is true? Like, Oh, it just lives in my body. You know, I mean, I, to grow up really feeling the dark when it's dark Mm. and the cold when it's cold and the, you know, the change of the seasons, like it, it just really was all there. So I feel, um, I mean, I will be forever grateful to both life and then my, my mother for how she lived her life that I got to grow up that way. Uh, it's definitely one of the guiding forces for me as a mother. It's, it's harder. Um, there's so much I could say yes to that. I say, you know, I'm like, no, cause we're going to do this instead, you know? And they're like, but why can't we play hmm. video games? You know, um, <laughs> I know this one. Whereas like but, my mom, we didn't have electricity. So it just, it wasn't even a question. Um, it's, it's really remarkable to think about this, right? Like you, <laughs> if I put my, my old school, I was for, there was a period of my life where I was a public health researcher and you're like the control group, right? If we ever want to see what, how broken <laughs> our culture is, we look at Kendra and like, she grew up with no electricity, just connected to the land and look at this brilliant human and how she Aww. turned out and how helpful she, she is to those around her. And just like how connected she is. Oh my God, our culture is so fucked up. You know, and it's like this, it's this wonderful example of when we strip away all the bullshit of this, this era that we're living in, like our connection yeah. to the earth can, it just, it produces a, a depth of being unlike anything else. Yes. And I, and what I do want to say is like, really believe, I, I so deeply believe that actually we can all have that. Mm-hmm. And part of it, um, I read a quote several months ago that was something to the effect of if you can't be on the land you love then love the land you're on i just think that that is essential that actually that yes you know if you have the opportunity to go to the wild ocean go if you have the opportunity to go backpacking in the sierras or the appalachia like go if you can um (laughs) go up into Glacier National. I mean, go, go to these really wild places. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, when I lived in the South of Market area of San Francisco, you know, there were trees on this weird little alley that we lived in. And, and there was, there were actually community gardens. There was a community garden down the street that was like this miraculous uh, I don't know, Garden of Eden, sort of in the middle of this, t- there were, you know, drug addicts and, mm-hmm. and what have you all, all around. And there's a woman I think of in particular who lives in San Francisco and, and she already had this relationship a little bit, but when she came to this retreat that I lead up near Mount Shasta called Return to Source, it got cemented in her. And there's this tree that she visits that's in San Francisco. And she has a relationship with this tree. Even in, I'm, I'm trying, like, is this really true? I don't know. I haven't traveled the world, but in most cities somewhere, there's a tree or there's some cultivated garden or there's the sky. I mean, we all have access, even if it's polluted, if we can't see the stars at night, there is the sky. So find what is there and begin to, in some way, develop that relationship that says like, oh, I'm so curious about you. And what is it actually, what does it feel like maybe to put my feet? or to put my hands on whether it's earth or it's sand or it's ocean or it's a tree or it's noticing where the dandelions come out of the cracks and 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 just seeing like oh there there is all this nature always wherever we are hmm. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. I'd like to go just as a way of starting to close this, you know, we in this crazy wisdom community, part of this is like these moments in our life that jar us and take us out of like our everyday habitual patterns, right? We have these experiences, like I described at the top of the show around like being in a room full of people that are kind of acting on their their own um, deepest fantasies. And I'm just curious for you, I know you've, you have put yourself in so many of these types of wild, bizarre, unorthodox places. If you'd be willing to share a little bit about beyond just growing up in the woods, what were some of these moments, these kind of crazy wisdom moments that shaped you into who you are uh, today as this brilliant guide and teacher? Mm, thank you. You and I were talking before we started recording, and I was saying I grew up in the Zen tradition, which is less crazy, like more mm -hmm. simple or mundane. And then at the beginning of our conversation, I wrote down this little note, like reality is wild. So to me, the most wild or crazy place we can go is deeply into the present moment. Mm. I, again, I saw a quote recently that was like, have y'all ever tried living in the present? Because that shit is, is insane or something like that. I was like, <laughs> that is so true. And yeah. I think that, that fundamentally, and so in some way you could say being raised Zen Buddhist really gave me this foundation, but it has been this thing that I've returned to in conscious ways and as an adult that I think really does form this, which is that there is value in what we might call peak experience or these sort of wild experiences like you described. And so often where I want to take people is into what we consider the mundane, because I have found that that is one of the wildest places to live. And I don't know if you'll indulge me, I'll tell two short Absolutely, stories. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why we're here. Okay. So one is in my, I don't know, maybe I was 19 or I was in my early twenties and I went back to the Zen monastery and there was this moment. I mean, these are the kind of moments in meditation that we try to get back to for the rest of our lives, right? Like mm -hmm. most of it is really boring. And, uh, <laughs> but I think we were in the middle of like an intensive period of meditation, which is even inside of an intensive, like three month. And it was like a week where it was basically all we did, you know, all day long. It's like meditate, meditate, meditate. And I was sitting there and I, uh, and in Zen meditation, you have your eyes slightly open. You look at a white wall. And so, and I was, it was almost like even running in my mind for some reason, it was probably me trying to distract myself. I was like, white wall, white wall. There was something about that. Like, that's just all that was there. And then literally suddenly there was, it was almost like it came towards me, like through the wall. And I, and I actually experienced that the entire universe was like right in the spot that I was focused on, on the white wall. And I was like, oh, hmm that's what they mean. And to me, that is the experience of the present, like everything. When I, when I, when I am more and more actually here and not trying to escape the mundane, the more I have these experiences that like all of reality sort of rushes up to meet me. Hmm. And it was really, again, it felt like that moment was gifted to me. Like, oh, okay, this is, how wild that is, is, is possible. And it is like to talk about it in the texts. And I was like, Oh, but it's actually true. <laughs> and then it allows me to remember that, um, throughout my life. And then one that just happened yesterday <laughs> was 
I won't give a lot of backstory, but it is this, this experience that I was just telling you about where I'm buying land near Mount Shasta. Mm-hmm. And the sellers are a couple who've been divorced now for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. They got married 20 plus years ago. And just yesterday, the man of the, of the couple uh, sent me a Facebook messenger and he said, oh, I see you know the poetry of my dear friend, Raphael. And it was because I had posted this poem by a, a poet, Raphael Jesus Gonzalez, two days before. Hmm. He said, oh, have you ever met him? And I said, oh, it's, that's, that's so uh, serendipitous or so coincidental. I said, actually, I've known him my whole life. Not well, but he's a dear friend of my dad and my stepmom. And he, he was like, whoa, that's amazing because Raphael actually married my ex-wife and I 25 years ago in that meadow on this land in Mount Shasta. And so I tell my parents and they say, oh, we remember him. You know, we went to Mardi Gras with him in New Orleans with Raphael mm-hmm. 10 years ago. I tell him who my parents are. And he says, oh, we remember, I remember them. We had some wild times together in Berkeley in the early 80s. Mm. So I was born in 1978. I didn't actually meet my dad until I was four, so 82. Uh, So maybe we had met at that time, maybe not, right? Maybe before I'd even met my dad, he was going to like Grateful Dead shows and doing acid, just extrapolating here, with this man who, what, 40 years later, I'm going to be standing on land in Mount Shasta that I got connected to because of land I went to 16 years ago where I heard a voice that said, you're meant to bring people to this land that led me to say, yes, I'll see if I can raise money for like, as he's sending me these Facebook messengers, you know, I'm, I'm crying Mm -hmm. and I'm just feeling like, where does this story even begin? Mm -hmm. Like who is, who is the I that's purchasing this property that somehow existed, but didn't know that these people were connected 40 years ago that I would meet now that, like, where does this story even begin and where do I land in it? And to me, that's crazy wisdom. That's like the web of life that is so much vaster and more mysterious than any of us are ever really going to know. Mm. Amen to that. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story of coincidences and this question of who am I really? Yeah. What a gift. Like, whose story is this? <laughs> yeah. And for me, it always comes back to the land and what a blessing that you've both found the land and the land found you because, uh, I know that that land is in no better hands than with you. So thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom and your stories and just your essence with, with this community. Really appreciate you taking some time with us today. It's such a pleasure. I mean, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, but yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah. And if people want to find you, participate in your programs, or just um, want to know more about what you're up to in the world, how do they find you? It's a great thing about having a name like Kendra Krunoff. I'm pretty easy to find <laughs> on the, the internet, as they say. Um, certainly KendraKrunoff.com. You know, I have a whole section of blogs and videos where people can kind of get a sense of, am I their cup of tea or not? Um, and then from there, if I am their cup of tea, they can certainly find out about programs and ways to work with me. Amazing. And we'll throw Kendra's website in the show notes for people that want to click through there. Thank you again, Kendra. I look forward to many more adventures with you and look forward to checking out this beautiful piece of land that you're stewarding. 
Yes. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Crazy Wisdom. If you like what you heard, please do rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen. This helps new people find the show. Maybe more importantly, it helps us grow our Crazy Wisdom community. My hope for you is between now and the next time you listen, that you try one new thing, one thing that would help you live a life of deeper purpose, deeper meaning, a life of greater love. And maybe that one thing is a little different, a little odd, a little intense, perhaps even a little crazy. 